You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Once the greatest mining country on earth, South Africa's annual mining production last year shrank 10.7% to its biggest annual decline since 1990. That's 31 years ago. South Africa now attracts less than 1% of annual global mineral exploration spend. And ongoing mineral exploration is really the only way to ultimately sustain mining 7% contribution to GDP. In fact, grow it. South Africa's uh, mineral potential, assuming best practice, is ranked by the Fraser Institute as 30 out of 83 mining jurisdictions and South African mining investment could almost double in the next four years if the country was to return to the top quartile of the most attractive mining investment destinations. Now, imagine taking a 5 billion rand gold expansion project to the investment committee of the board. Mr. Baxter, what is your view of the electricity price and supply given by 2029 and given that uh, electricity costs are now at 25% of cash costs versus 11% in 2009 and given the uh, 523% increase in the past decade? And Mr. Baxter, is the project guaranteed uh, continuing uh, consequences of previous BE deals when the company must renew the mining right in 2025 or will the company have to top up? And also, Mr. Baxter, what will the carbon tax liability of the project be in 2029, given the total lack of any visibility on any regulations or tax-free portions for the uh, 170 rand a tonne of CO2 tax that will apply in 2023? Now, what would your answers be, uh, considering that the South African mining industry has about 15 to 20 years of significant large-scale mining left and that the global standard is that it takes in the region of 10 to 20 years to discover, develop and bring into production new large-scale mines, it is clear that the country must urgently begin to build a new mine investment pipeline. But given the uncertainty around these questions, it's no surprise that investment is thin on the ground. But the question is how to make the country an attractive investment destination again. For without that, the mineral treasure trove that we have in our soil beneath our feet will remain locked there again as another commodity super cycle passes us by. Well, let's welcome our guests. Uh, firstly, we've got Andres van Heerden, the CEO of uh, Afrimat, uh, who's one of the few deal makers in the country. Uh, Peter Leon, a respected mining law expert and partner at law firm Herbert Smith Freehills and the global co-chair of its Africa group. And we've also uh, got a very well-respected mining analyst, uh, Peter Major, joining us on the panel as sadly uh, the DG in the DMRE had to cancel at the 11th hour. So, uh, Peter, I'm going to ask you to kick us off here. Has someone who's uh, understood and studied our mining cadaster system for uh, the better part of two decades now, what are some of the key issues? Because it was quite interesting speaking at the Minerals Council AGM last week to hear the minister lambaste our shambolic uh, mining license regime. What are some of the key problems? Well, I mean, the, the, the key issue, Michael, is that it's, it's dysfunctional. And I was actually looking at, at the history of this issue, SAMRAD, the South African Mineral Rights Administration System. It was actually launched with a lot of fanfare by previous minister, Susan Shabungu, in April 2011. And the issues with SAMRAD um, not working optimally, not being a proper online system, allowing, which I think is extremely worrying, manual applications still to be made, presumably because the online system doesn't work properly, uh, not showing applicants who has what rights, um, and frequently just not operating properly. Th those are the those are the key issues. Now, you know, this is, uh, you know, we're now out of the Zoom administration into the Ramaphosa administration, which has been in office 
uh, formally since 2019, informally since 2018, when he took over from uh, Zuma when he was removed from office uh, by the ANC. So, I mean, you know, this administration's had three years to fix it. The Director General, um, who I'm sorry is not on the program, has been in office since 2017, appointed by former Minister Zwani, whom perhaps the less said the better. But, uh, you know, the, the, this, this could be fixed. And I have actually spoken um, to a company in Cape Town called Spatial Cadaster, who do cadastral systems, mineral cadastral systems around the continent. And because I've done a lot of work elsewhere in Africa, most of our neighbors who mine, like Namibia and Mozambique, uh, the DRC, Ghana, Tanzania, have online cadastral systems, which the World Bank have helped fund. Uh, and, and, you know, th this, this company's offered its services to DMRE, and they have not been accepted. The minister's now said, and I, I, you know, I've got to give credit where it's due, that the current licensing system is, quote, unquote, a nightmare. That is what he said at the Minerals Council AGM last week. And I think that's refreshingly honest, Michael. But if it is such a nightmare, and his director general gave an undertaking to parliament in March, that the system would be completely fixed within six months, i.e. Mm. by the beginning of September. I would actually like to see that happen. Mm. But I don't understand when the DMR and DMRE and the DMR prior to that, before, to, before the departments were merged, have been aware of this problem literally since the system was launched 10 years ago. Why hasn't it been fixed? Now, you could take a cynical view and say, well, the reason it hasn't been fixed is that it actually enables corruption enables the sort of issues that, that Andres would be well aware of uh, with, with Aquila, uh, you know, with overlapping grants, duplication of rights, um, the, the Kumba ICT situation, yep. which is a classic example of why you need mm. an online cadastral system. But, you know, let's give, let, let's, you know, let, let's give this administration some, some room. But, I mean, they've been in office for three years. I don't understand why it... You know, why the system hasn't been fixed. I'm glad the minister's now, you know, seized with it and has given the department an instruction. But I'd actually like to see whether, in fact, they try and do a sort of band-aid solution to what's not working, whether they actually don't get the right software to make the system work properly. Mm -hmm. That's going to be my question to the government. And th that is the big question. That was going to be my question to the Director General. What exactly is being done to fix this? Because from the outside, it doesn't look like an insurmountable problem to be able to digitise those rights and records and to have it available in a very open and transparent manner. And to your points, Peter, there are other countries uh, not in developed markets. We're talking developing countries in Africa who have got far more advanced electronic cadastral systems. Andres, I want to come back to you as uh, one of the, the, the foremost more successful deal makers uh, of the last decade and a bit. Uh, what has your experience been of uh, trying to secure a mining right, trying to execute on a transaction, and uh, the role that the DMRE and, and that existing regulatory regime plays in either enhancing or impeding the ability to execute on a transaction? Uh, Michael, um, it is a, a process that you need to understand the, the inner workings, and you've got to live very close to the department and and uh, in the end you do get the result. Funny enough, that is not our biggest challenge. Um, the DMRE tends generally to, to be quite helpful nowadays and, and they tend to, to uh, 
get ways around their own efficiency, inefficiencies and their lack of capacity. Our challenge is much more in other departments, uh, such as the Department uh, of uh, Water Affairs and Sanitation. That is an absolute nightmare to try and get a water use license um, in, in, you know, in any length of time. It's, a, it's an absolute nightmare. On top of that, the South African police with their communities and, and the, uh, all these mafia activities and things that we see, the South African police does not act, act at all in, in a lot of the cases. And then thirdly, the municipalities where we need to, to uh, work very closely with local municipalities to get social and labor plans approved and, mm. and get it incorporated in part of their plan. So those are the big challenges. So to be honest, the DMRE is actually a, a bit of a positive in that bigger bigger landscape. And we've been successful with all our mining licenses. We, we operate, we're probably the biggest operator of mining licenses in South Africa. I think we've got 41 of them that are active at the moment, uh, which probably gives us a, an advantage that we really know the, the officials. Mm-hmm. Um, we know how to, to, uh, how to approach these things. We, we have direct access to Mr. McQuenna if, if we don't uh, we don't come right and they do they do try to help but I do agree the system is not mm. is not easy you've got to work hard to get get your approvals and we'll come back to the role of the other departments in this but just in terms of your experience and where you would like to see the system improve so that you don't have the department trying to work around its own inefficiencies to your earlier point what are some of the low-hanging fruit in order for us to radically overhaul and improve the system and make it just far more investor-friendly rather than uh, a barrier to overcome? I think Peter touched on a couple of points on, in terms of the system. I think that, that is definitely a, a point of, uh, that needs to be improved. Uh, I think we have big capacity constraints as well. For instance, uh, the, the, the offices in Mpumalanga were closed for a while and caused a long backlog. And to work through that backlog... Uh, the, the capacity is just not there, um, so so uh, you know it is it is a challenge. But give credit where it's due; they really do try to help. We recently bought the Inkumati mine out of business rescue. There were uh, quite a number of jobs at risk there, and I must tell you, the department really bent over backwards to to help us to get that section 11 through, to, so that we could get the mine out of business rescue. So they are trying. They are trying hard. Yeah, uh, that's an important insight because I think a lot of the popular narrative is still around a, a largely dysfunctional regime and department that is more of a hindrance than an enabler. But uh, uh, fascinating to hear that you're saying they are trying their hardest within the constraints. And to hear what the minister said, Peter Major, last week at the Minerals Council, uh, saying that the system is a nightmare. At least we have this acknowledgement of it. What would you like to see uh, from an investor perspective? to help improve the situation on the ground? Look, I've been here long enough, many, many decades, that I think I've heard all sides and I've pretty much experienced all sides. The bottom line is, and that's what you have to look at, if if you want foreign investment, they come here for one reason, bottom line. And so they're gonna care less about what's above the bottom line. The bottom line is, if something is dysfunctional, they're very put off. If something is corrupt, they are totally put off. And so it doesn't matter if 90% of DMR employees are working very hard and mean well. It, I'm saying as a funder, and, and this is local funders, but even more so overseas funders. They don't care how hard everybody in 
is working in the DMR. They just want to know, is it fair? Is it efficient? Is there no corruption? They don't care if all the DMR are on holiday. If the system's working, they don't care. They just want their license. Or if they hire a consultant to put in their license, they want some kind of deadline, some kind of timeline. They want some kind of milestone. You know, is this a one-month process? Is it a six-month process? Whereas the DMR always says you're going to get a response to your application in two weeks. Now, I know they're trying to do that, but they have to deliver on that all the time. It has to be repetitive like machine, like mechanistic. Mm. And if your system, if you're under your overall system, is worse than dysfunctional. If it's corrupt, you know, if the concrete is so eroded that the foundation is just loose gravel, then it doesn't matter if 98% of the people are doing their best. If we can analogize this, it's like a bus driver. Mm. The whole bus could be full of people who mean well, have money in their pocket, have college degrees, and are ethical. But if your bus driver is incompetent or corrupt and he's driving the bus off, a lot of people are going to die. A lot of people mm. are going to get hurt. And so, yes, the cadastra, it is one of the foundations of our DMR. And, and if it was done correctly at the start, it would have avoided corruption. It would have avoided incompetence. And it would have avoided a lot of lawsuits. Mm. So mm. If, if they agree this pillar has to be addressed, then you throw everything at it. it and you put on guidelines, guardrails, milestones, and you you allocate, you budget the resources, and you start holding people accountable because apologies mean nothing to investors. They don't. They would rather a guy really screwed them over and doesn't apologize, mm. but he says, "But I'm going to do this to make it up." And Peter, That's on, on want. that point, I want to come back to how much of that is is current reality versus looking through an historical lens. And imperial crime trading, we mentioned Kumba, we mentioned Akila. Uh, and we haven't really had a repeat of those, you know, dual like license holders cropping up. And how much of this is just an incapacity? No, problem? no, we have. They are ongoing. And I can speak right now. We have had two of that happen in the last month. So it is ongoing. Yes, it's not the big ones because they're a little bit afraid now because they could be prosecuted. But the little ones are continuing. And a lot of it's because of the system. Yeah, well, they do say sunlight is the best disinfectant, uh, and that's why we need to see a fully transparent and digitized uh, mining cadastral system. Peter and Leon. Yeah, I, I was just going to make the point. I mean, I, I, I hear what Peter said. I mean, the, the, I, I, I've actually had, I, I would say, the pleasure of, of uh, working remotely uh, in Saudi Arabia for the last 10, 12 months, advising the government on their new mining code with Saudi Arabia's tr transition from hydrocarbons and um, it has been an absolute pleasure I must tell you dealing with the Ministry of Industry and Mineral Resources A because you're dealing with very competent officials but B because the Minister said to me at the beginning of this exercise working with the World Bank we want a world-class system follows international best practice ICMM the International Council of Mining and Metals is our yardstick we want to implement in Saudi Arabia what we have what you have in Western Australia and Ontario are two good examples because they always score very highly on the Fraser Institute report and that's what we set about doing but one of the things the Saudis have done in addition to having a proper online cadastral system is and, it, and I didn't even have to persuade the minister about this is is implement mandatory 
time limits for making decisions so that if you have a compliant application, you'll get a mining right within 60 days. Now, I see Roger Baxter of the Minerals Council has told the AGM of the council that in South Africa it takes 245 days to secure a prospecting right and 355 days to get a mining right. If you go to Botswana, if your, applica your application is compliant, you'll get the right, the mining right, the mining license in three weeks. I mean, it's, it, it's staggering. It mm. just shows the level of, I don't know what it is, incompetence. But, the, the, but there's a, you know, it's not just incompetence, Michael. The framework's wrong. I, I said to the government back in the day, 20, nearly 20 years ago, when the NPRDA was going through Parliament, for heaven's sake, put time limits into the legislation, as you have with the Competition Act, because under the Competition Act, if the Competition Commission doesn't make a decision within 60 days, the decision is deemed to be granted. And I said you should have that sort of provision mm -hmm. in the NPRDA. It was fiercely resisted by the department because I think they knew very well they didn't have the capacity or the capability to do that. But I think if the government's serious about getting uh, investment in the mining industry, they have to implement mandatory time limits. Maybe, maybe you make them, you know, more than 60 days, say 90 days for a mining right or, or 60 days for prospect. But I mean, but at least have some time limits in the legislation. If you don't have time limits and, you know, bureaucrats are not forced to process applications efficiently, you, this problem is just simply going to continue. And, and also, I mean, you know, the council has said there are 5,365 outstanding applications, some of which go back 10 years. I mean, it's... Yeah, well, it, it'll take 10 years to clear that backlog uh, if, if you do uh, sort of one, one a week. Uh, not, I mean, it's ridiculous. Andres, listening to the constraints that are imposed on operating and, and, and acquiring mining licenses in the country, would you go along with what Peter Leon is saying about imposing mandatory time limits, say a 90-day time limit, on making a decision? Oh, yes, that, that would help a lot, um, especially if it can be done to all the departments. I think one of the, the interesting um, challenges, I suppose, is um, because the, the process is so complex, uh, you know, I, I really feel for a small operator that, that doesn't have the experience of exactly how the system works, um, it is, I think it'll be a nightmare. But, you know, for, for somebody like ourselves, you know, we've bulked up on, on resources that actually you know, make sure that everything is done right and then follows it up and follows it through through the process. And I think that's unnecessary if, mm. the, if the system works. Mm. We need to get the system to work by itself um, because I can imagine a foreigner that doesn't know the process will, will have an absolute nightmare mm. getting through there. But uh, once you understand the process and you, you know how the process flows, you know how to follow it up, it is possible to get your, your, your licenses through in a, in a good time. So it also comes back to, to a willingness by, by the department, and I think they do deserve credit that there's been a big improvement. Maybe not everywhere. I hear what Peter Major says, but our experience is, especially in the last two years, we've seen a significant improvement in, in their willingness to help, their, their, their assistance to get, get things done so that, that jobs can be created and jobs can be saved.
And in fact, that speaks to uh, one of the government's uh, primary mandates in mining and, and focus on transformation. If you're going to continue to have a system that favours larger incumbents and well-resourced firms, how are you going to grow the pie? How are you going to get new, primarily black entrants, smaller firms without those resources to come into the mining industry to develop those pipelines that we so sorely need in order to, to grow the industry? Peter Major? You're touching all the right buttons here, Michael. You're right. You need new money, you need new investors, and without sounding like a scam artist, it's new investors that fund all new developments in all industries. And, and why? Because they're the sacrificial lambs, unfortunately. Look at the IT industry, you know, nine out of 10 go bust. But if you didn't have new investors, the established investors, they know too much. They don't want to shake up the market that they're now in control of. And they're also too afraid. They've lost money for decades pursuing new ideas. And it's the same in minerals. You know, the big established mining companies here, they know all the problems they're going to have starting up a mine. They're more interested in milking the mines they've got and, and getting diversification out of the country. Now, traditionally, new investors would fill that role. You know, there's young new investors. They think they've got an angle. They think they, they've got a better market for the commodity. They think they got some good contacts in this country that will help them mine at a lower cost. They think the big guys are, are dozy or too lazy or too arrogant. But we have shut off all that new investment, all these new startups. And they're not always new startups. They're often just new and different investors. You could have established mining companies worldwide that have never been here and they might see a gap. But yeah, if, if the system doesn't accommodate that, if, if the system has, has too, many, too many parts that aren't working right, and if I can refer, the system today is still accepting applications over a mineral right that's already granted. And when you ask the DMR about it, they say, well, you guys can sort it out. You know, they don't want to make the decision. So they'll accept applications that go over existing mineral applications. They'll accept applications for different minerals. So you can theoretically get three applications over the same property because they've applied for different minerals. Mm. And I'm not saying it's all the individual DMR's fault, but it's the system that allows mm. that. And, and as Gwedi has pointed out, if no BE is required, then why are all the branchy, branches refusing to accept applications without a BE? And I'm not saying get rid of BE here or keep it or change the percentage, but see there's inconsistency from mm. the minister on down, there's no flow through. And I want to come through finally to what uh, Andres van Heerden raised, uh, Peter Leon, about the, uh, the the blame perhaps residing outside of the DMRE to a large extent around um, water use licenses or, or, or NEMA. We know there, there are issues around financial provision regulations with NEMA. Uh, where else does the regulatory bottleneck and where do these constraints reside in order for us to kind of have a holistic approach to improving the environment? Yeah, I mean, Andres has made a very, very good point, very important point. Look, the government, uh, this is years ago, introduced the One Environmental System, which was supposed to bring the Department of Environmental Affairs, Fisheries and Forestry, as it now is, the Department of Water Affairs and the DMRE together when you had a license, so there'd be a joined up process. So, for example, uh, you know, go back to Saudi Arabia, when uh, an application for mining rights is submitted to the ministry, the ministry are obliged to send it to the environmental ministry, and they have a period of days, or I mean, they have actually have something like a month or so, 
to process the application, send it back to the Minerals Ministry. But the process is properly joined up. So what we have here, though, is an idea of having a one environmental system that you would get all your rights simultaneously, the, the environmental approval, the water use license and your mining right all together. But in practice, it hasn't happened because the three the, you've got three different departments working to different timelines. And I mean, if you think the situation in the, and I'm sure Andres can speak to this, if you, if you think the situation DMRE is bad, try water affairs. So the minister is now trying to, I think, create some sort of water commission to process all these thousands of licenses that have never been dealt with. Um, situation that to quote Minister Montashi really is more if you can imagine anything worse than nightmare it, 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 it could be it's worse than that so what the government actually created I think it's about four years ago with the one environmental system actually isn't working and I I, I actually think now this requires the attention uh, of mm. the presidency mm. as you know mm. um, the Treasury and the presidency have now set up Operation Budenglela to drive investment into the South African economy. And this is something that really needs to be on their agenda. Because yeah. if you get a mining permit, you don't have a water use license, you don't have your yeah. environment approval, well, what do you do? Mm. You can't mm. mine. And um, I think that's a, a great point to leave it off on, as uh, sadly, Peter Leon, we have run out of time. But it is time for uh, an holistic approach through Operation Vulandlela to cut through these various intersecting issues. Uh, and I w one can only imagine the nightmare that is the Department of Water Affairs at the moment. The macro environment is still very supportive for commodities. I mean, companies are producing returns greater than their cost of capital. We should be attracting investors in droves. But sadly, unless you really do understand the system, Allah, uh, an Afri or one of the, the bigger players, then it really isn't conducive to developing that pipeline of new investors, uh, to Peter Major's point. But that's where we're going to have to leave it off. Thank you very much. That was Peter Leon, mining law expert, partner at law firm Herbert Smith Freehills and a global co-chair of its Africa group, AfriMat CEO Andres van Heerden and mining analyst from Mergence Corporate Solutions, Peter Major.